Hello and welcome to the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. My name is Dr. Avine Banish and I will be your host. This is the weekly podcast that helps women pause in their busy lives, drop into the heart, and remember their next right step. I am so happy that you're here. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Wholehearted Healer. I'm so grateful that you're here. This week, you're in for a treat. I have on as my guest, Trish Cummins. Um, Trish and I met back when I lived in Eau Claire, I don't even know how many years ago. Um, And Trish was always a really um, fun person. When I would bump into her, she had so many unique um, life skills and experiences. And um, she also raised three of my favorite children who were all camp counselors for my kids at Camp Manitou over the years. Um, Trish is now the village, the director of mission at Village, which we're going to talk about more. She was the founder of Forage, which was an amazing uh, multi-use space in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Um, she was also the school board commissioner and on the school board in Eau Claire for nine years. And somehow while doing all of that and raising her kids, she found time to go back and get a master's in educational policy at Georgetown in a program that really focused on looking at policy through an equity lens. Um, And so Trish, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy life and day to talk to me today. Absolutely delighted. Absolutely delighted. Um, And so let's maybe begin, you know, um, I love talking to people on this podcast who I think are, are living life wholeheartedly, meaning um, maybe despite or because of how the world is unfolding um, people who seem to look at problems through unique lens and um, parenting is not a problem, but I always admired how you parented your children and your kind of educational philosophy. I remember when our oldest, you know, when we were, when college was even looming on the horizon, I remember having some conversations with you that really helped me sort of look at education and life in a more global or broader perspective. And so I just wonder if you can share with us a little bit about if you did have a motto or a philosophy in raising your kids, um, sort of how you went about that. Ah, seems so long ago when it all started, but then other times it seems like a blink. So I currently, my kiddos are not so much kiddos anymore. My oldest is 26 and then I have twins that um, are 23. and. I really think it goes back to like probably all of us is uh, when my husband and I um, were pregnant with our first and were young and naive and didn't know really what we were doing. Um, both of us had some things in our childhood that we would have chosen to do differently. And we had great conversations about that. So, which was fantastic before we even began to think about having a family we had done some pretty in-depth work on um, on doing patterns uh, that we had grown up in um, and really chose each other and chose a life, um, whether there were going to be kids in it or not. When we first got married, we weren't sure if um, biological kids were in, in the work for us, but we knew we were going to have kids in our life. Um, but really, we were pretty intentional about what do we 
what do we want to do? And, and we were very fortunate at the time. We lived in St. Louis and we were part of a really cool progressive um, small Catholic church that was really focused on peace and justice and had amazing role models, um, our age all the way up through grandparent age. And we just loved what they were doing. We loved how they were raising their kids. We loved how they were um, sharing community. And so we were situated there, which was amazing. And then I remember getting a copy of the, uh, what was it? It was Dr. Sears, the baby book. Yep. And it was like attachment parenting and something about reading that it, I couldn't get enough of it. And again, I think we always probably are trying to heal from whatever I, a little bit of a Rocky growing up, um, adopted. There were some issues around that and, you know, kind of how that all pieces together. And it was during the time when people didn't look at mental health for adoptees or adoptive parents. Um, so sort of just white knuckled that and also grew up moving. I think we were in, I think I was in seven schools in 12 years in five states. And that was before people knew what neurodiversity really was. And so I was definitely that kid that now would be instantly labeled as ADHD. <laughs> Back then it was just, you know, talk too much, you sit in the hall, you, you know, they did all the things that are the opposite of what a child with ADHD needs. So, and I didn't find out that I had ADHD until uh, much later when I was in college and a friend called and she was studying um, special education at another college. And she said, we studied you in school today. You have this thing. <laughs> oh my <laughs> And I remember going to students, like the student services and, you know, asking for any kind of Help and they kind of looked at me like we don't we don't have anything, which is really interesting because I all three of my kids um, share different components of my neurodiversity, and so seeing what's available now as they've been in higher education, um, yeah, there really wasn't much going on, and so I think reading that book and and for the first time reading that yeah that how important it is to meet the needs of babies and and kids and and then. Um, quickly after that, somebody in our little church community there had her own Montessori school, and it was that very pure Montessori in a, a under-resourced community. And I just again fell in love. And so those two pivotal books, and then a little bit when Noah was a few years old, we were at a wonderful preschool um, in Indianapolis, and the the preschool teacher there turned me on to the book The Hurried Child. And so those three influences, which was, you know, the hurried child was all about um, we we push kids too quickly into you know, being adults in this in this culture. And it kind of led into a whole world of reading of um, John Holt. And, you know, he did the um, Teach Your Own. He was the big homeschooling proponent. And um, so I would say pretty early on, there were great influences. I was reading everything I could. And I was lucky because I had a parenting partner who was on board. You know, there wasn't really anything that was off the table to talk about how we wanted to parent. Um, and when we came to Eau Claire, our oldest was, uh, would have been midway through kindergarten. And um, we, we tried to kind of fit into what was available here. Um, but it was pretty evident pretty quickly that it was a traditional education environment and um, which was good. There's a lot of, I mean, you know, there's a lot of amazing things going on here, but I was so down a certain road 
that it was it was harder to kind of mesh those things together. Um, and then when my younger two were in first grade, we discovered that my daughter was dyslexic. And when I went to the district, and I actually was on the school board at the time, I went to the district and was asking about what are our, you know, what are we doing in terms of um, dyslexia instruction? And I was already reading and was working with some um, providers in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and was basically told nothing. Like it's actually the, <laughs> I was told it's not a um, focus of the Eau Claire School District to really excel in special ed. And I was told we just comply, unquote. And I thought, wow. You just told that not just to a parent of neurodiverse kids, but to a school board member. And I just, I remember getting in the car and calling my husband and saying, yeah, we're going to be doing this ourselves. And he was like, I'm in the middle of something. Can we talk about this? I said, no, no, it's great. I'm just letting you know. We're, we're going to be homeschooling now. <laughs> and that started a six-year adventure of homeschooling, um, which was really, really fun, really great. I think the highs far um exceeded the lows. I mean, the kids will sometimes say like, yeah, they, they maybe wanted to fit in a little bit more here and there, but ultimately they are really grateful for how they were raised. And we weren't that kind of um, stereotypical, like sitting at the table doing worksheets. We, what we did fell more into the unschooling category, which is actually a movement, which is that you're learning all the time. Everything's a teachable moment, digging in the backyard, camping, Legos, lots and lots of Legos, uh, art classes. Uh, I mean, really anything is a teachable moment. And then um, a couple towns over from Eau Claire, a environmental charter school had opened and we were able to use that from seventh through 12th grade, which was a project-based learning school. So again, it really fit our self-directed learning. Um, it really works great for neurodiverse learners. So the, both of my sons are ADHD. Um, and then my daughter's dyslexic. And so it was just a great fit. So my parenting philosophy, I guess, is sort of follow the child, right? And that's kind of what it was. If they came out, I really think they all come out uniquely who they are. And they are all explorers and artists and um, scientists. And if we just put things in their path or follow them and make sure they have what they need, I think they get to be who they fully are. I don't think our generation that was the norm you know we were going to be who they said we were going to be um and it didn't really matter what school district I mean again I went to so many different school districts I went to public schools I went to all girls private schools I went to the gamut and was in trouble for excessive talking and not turning in my homework and every single one of those right and my test scores were the same in every single one of those I, I came out who I was it was there, there wasn't a good district for me or a bad district. It was just the whole methodology of um, helping shore up the weaknesses and really letting kids shine in the areas that they do shine in. So I guess that's really what it was, was kind of follow the child. And I feel like I, I feel like I still am doing that. They still are so, I don't know if you feel this way about yours, I, I probably, but you can see in them so much of what you saw in the very beginning, right? Like Absolutely. it's yeah yeah so that that was kind of getting them through adult well through early adulthood which is where we are now Trish thank you so much for sharing that journey and I think um I think anyone with children or anyone who has been through school 
you know, I think certain certain people fall in line and do really well in our school system in the way that we um, we decide people are successful. And then I think there was just a big article last week in the New York Times about how we're sort of failing visual learners. And we're, you know, there's this whole other zone of genius that we don't even look at in the school system. And um, and that kids who don't, who kind of don't follow the party line really are suffering. Um, and I think in in your case, I mean, your kids hit the jackpot um, with the family that um, they were born into and there are no accidents in the universe. You know, I love how things line up. Um, but I love how in looking at your trajectory and what you have done, um, you know, your dedicated years on the school board and you're seeking your master's and now at at Village, um, it's like this recognition that um, that that should be for everyone and it's not. And I wonder exactly. if, if you could talk about that a little bit. Exactly. I mean, that's just it. Those of us who come from whatever resources they are, whether we, we weren't the first person in our family to go to college or we were born into a school district that had adequate resources and appropriate staffing and had um, an arts program if we were somebody who was um, drawn to the arts. All of these happenstances um, absolutely create the trajectory for kids. And it's, it, we, it is unbelievably unfair. And Wisconsin currently is leading the country in the achievement gap between students of color and um, Caucasian students. And it's not surprising. I mean, you look around and it's just, it's such a have and have not situation. Sometimes it's within a district and another district that neighbor up to each other, or as in the case of Eau Claire, within the district, um, it's just incredibly, what, what kids are getting is very, very different. And when they enter that classroom, they're entering the classroom with a trusted adult, but that trusted adult is human and has whatever biases they have and has whatever backgrounds they have. So Eau Claire, like a lot of communities, is uh, having a pretty big demographic change and is not really prepared for it. Um, one of my uh, volunteer um, opportunities that I have that's amazing is I serve as the president of the board of a nonprofit locally called Power of Perception, which was started by um, an educator, Dennis Beal. And it is a uh, mentoring program for Black and biracial youth in the Eau Claire area. And it's phenomenal. Dennis is amazing. He's created um, these different chapters, either within the school or district-wide. And it's the one place each week where kids can come together and not be, you know, just maybe the only Black child in their class, actually be around other kids and adults um, and to break down some of the stereotypes that that surround um, them as they enter the school, uh, er, you know, enter school. And it's everywhere. I mean, there's not a community that you're not going to look at the data. It's just, it's not great. Yeah, it's, it's not great. It's not always race related, but that is a big factor. And that was one of the leading um, topics in the program that I did because it is such a huge, um, the drop, the numbers are just, even the data doesn't lie. And so it, it was a little bit hard to kind of push against the system, but because I'd never really done well in the system and because we were outsiders here, it was a little bit easier. And I get that people want to follow the company line, right? Not everybody 
can pull their kids out of school and nor should they, right? There's so many great things that happened during the school day that I had to go find because we didn't have those. But for us, the, the good outweighed the bad and especially with neurodiversity and giving my daughter the gift of time to um, read later and figure out her best ways for it. I mean, she's an ear reader. That's her way of taking in information. And she's actually an incredibly fast ear reader now. Um, and you know, be able to, to do that research and find out what each child needed. That's an absolute privilege. You know, I had that privilege of um, we didn't need two incomes at that time. I could stay home. I could focus on the three of them. But it's not really how it should be. It's just what we needed to do. And so my my work on the school board was how do we find better ways to, to change the system for all kids? Um, and that was what my master's was about. And ultimately, that's what village is. Village. Um, is it okay if I move into the vill- into Please, village? And I want to hear, hear all about it. <laughs> it, it it's, it's pretty great. It's uh, my older son, who is one of those kids that kind of came out age 40. I mean, he just, he just did. Um, and it's not surprising that he kind of looked around and said, no, I think I'm going to start my own thing. Um, after college, he was working in ed tech. Um, for a company that does uh, kind of some of re- some registration for some out of school things, more like childcare and parks and rec type stuff. And Noah quickly realized, like, this is great, but it's not serving small providers of out of school or medium providers of out of school or really focusing on families that um, don't have as much access. And he decided to start his own thing. And it's funny, it, I, it happened at the beginning of COVID is when he uh, moved home, quit, quit that job and really started a hundred percent on this project. And in the beginning, um, so he and I worked on it together and, it, and strangely, it's a little bit of a manifestation of what my capstone project was, which was, I wanted to come back to Eau Claire and create an overarching organization for child serving orga- um, institutions or organizations so that everybody would play better in the sandbox and share resources better. And, the idea that you, if you want to look at equity, diversity, inclusion, it, it's hard for each small little nonprofit or for each um, child serving organization to do that on their own. But if you could provide that for everybody, and um, because I know that the experience that my kids have walking into certain places in my community are very different than some of the men- mentors and mentees we have in power perception, right? And so wanting families wherever they went in this community to go into spaces that um, where those organizations had the resources to make sure they were best serving kids. So we would talk in the beginning and I was pretty much like, if it has to be a nonprofit, it has to be a nonprofit, which I'm glad to say there is a component of it that is. Our mission is definitely to increase access for all kids. But we also quickly learned because it's a, it's a tech company, developers might have the biggest hearts in the world, but they still need to be paid what developers need paid, right? So uh, he figured out how to create this hybrid situation where we have a a company that it's basically, you know, it's called Village. All of it is Village, but there's a for-profit investable tech side that is building village.com. And the only customer is the nonprofit side, which is Village. And so I sit on the nonprofit side as the director of mission to make sure that we are, you know, accomplishing what we're setting out to do, which is to connect um, kids to out-of-school opportunities in their community and re- 
rebuild the community as a classroom, which is what Noah really feels like he had. You know, he had the community as a classroom. He was riding his bike down to theater camp and he had guitar lessons. And we went to everything at the library um, and we traveled and he was learning from whoever we encountered. And then he ended up at a school that that's the, that's really the model there. They have um, a limited number of teachers and they really are the, um, the same. They're the guides on the side, not the stage on the stage. So they're, if a student has an interest and the teacher doesn't have anything to offer, they really encourage the kids to look into the community for mentors and coaches and teachers and really the elders. So the idea that the village elders have so much to share. Um, and that's really where village came from is like, how do we connect all these people so that the 80% of a child's life, which is spent out of the K-12 school day, um, can be as rich and robust as possible. That sounds, I mean, I love that philosophy. You know, we now live in Colorado, so we moved out of Eau Claire about um, six years ago. And um, what I've noticed as my kids have gotten older is sort of this hyper-specialization among kids, you know, like travel sports teams and sort of choosing your niche when you're 13 and running with that specific sport. So what I love is that what it sounds like Village is doing is giving like childhood back this, I, I mean, I feel like childhood should be this broad, almost liberal arts time where you're exposed to lots of different things. It, it seems like it's going against the grain of this hyper specialization that I'm seeing. A hundred percent. We didn't do any of the travel sports, um, I, I, partly because my kids were really close in age and who do you pick, right? And also, I our, we didn't have a traditional schedule. So it wasn't like weekends were always free or had an extra parent around. And so we had a Y membership um, and the kids had bikes to ride to the Y if they wanted to shoot baskets. Um, but yeah, I 100% agree. And it was interesting. I was reading something or listening to a podcast not long ago, and it was about Norway and their um, Winter Olympics um, domination that they they're amazing at and they don't do any specialization they don't even cut they do no cut till like 16 or something and it's all free um yeah this idea that you need to know at age six that you want to do travel soccer plus the fact that it's really tough on bodies like besides the family's life is now in a in a car driving all over i mean and and the, the other um thing i've heard about that too is how we don't really do that great at soccer in the u.s and part of it is because the rest of the world practices 80%, plays games 20%, and we play games 80% and practice 20%. Um, one of the nice things that's changed since you've been gone, and it's public information now, so I can say it, but our big investor in Village is local and um, has just started something called Valley Sports Academy. It's one of many businesses he does. So it's in Lake Halley. And they're, right now, I think it's, I believe it's soccer, baseball, and hockey right now softball but it's kind of pushing back at that saying no like these skills are really important and um so that's that's actually one of that's our big investor in village um they're so committed to out of school time for kids but also a more well-rounded um letting kids go deeper into things and that's again what village does it's you know, there's great things that happen during the school day, but depending on what school district you are, a lot of what you might care about may have already been cut, or you can only get it this class or that class. And 
you know, out of school can let kids go deeper into topics that they're interested in. Um, they can sample something like the idea that you could actually sample and take a class for an hour and a half and say, yeah, it's not for me. Or I'd like to try that. We, we just don't have very many of those opportunities. Um, but the people are out there um, right now. What the focus of Village is really growing the Eau Claire um, uh, marketplace here for out of school education and our CEO, who is my son, Noah, is literally going door to door and encouraging people to teach a class. Like he's just showing up and saying, you did this, you should teach a class. Let's help you figure out how to teach a class. And it's been amazing. People who never saw themselves in that role. The the guy who fixes lawnmowers and uh, snowblowers. And I said, what made you stop in there? And he thought, he said, I just thought, I'll see what he's up to. And I convinced me and his son to teach a small motor repair class because they want, to be honest, they want kids in the future who want to go into this because there aren't enough uh, people going into a lot of these fields. He convinced, um, we have an amazing local uh, truffle maker and he's convinced her to teach a two week truffle class for I think kids ages eight to 18. I mean, he's just going out saying everybody everyone's a learner and everyone's a teacher in village and how do we connect everybody? And so the actual marketplace, I should, I should probably talk about because people are interested, will be like an Airbnb. So you go in, you'd say, this is where I live. What are the opportunities available? Um, so that part of it is pretty simple. But the third side of the marketplace on village is the donor side. So when we talk about access, it's great. There's, you can have all these opportunities, but even if it costs $5, $15, $20, that might be out of reach for a lot of families. And so what happens in Village is uh, what our tech team is building is that donor side that will drop in designated funding, maybe from a community foundation or just donations um, who, where people can just directly say, I'd like to put $100 into Village and I would like it to go to violin lessons. So you don't have to have the provider out looking for funding. And you don't have to have the family always asking. I mean, there's a lot of places you'll see the fine print will say, you know, call if you have a financial um, uh, situation that we need to talk about, or there could be some funding available. You know, that really, that takes a lot for a family. And so we want to put that dignity back into the process that when they're on this, when they're on the marketplace, there's something for everybody. The reviews, there's a background check for all the providers, anybody who wants to be on there. Um, and then there's reviews. So families can say, yeah, this was a great opportunity or eh, this one, not so much. They, 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 you know, could use some work on how they communicate with families or whatever it is, but really bringing the out of school educational marketplace. Um, and and it, it's funny too, this was already in the works before um, the global pandemic, but now more than ever, our kids need to be out talking to people, growing, learning, having in-person conversations um, and the schools cannot do it alone. The schools cannot help repair what was already broken, but definitely the last three years has, has made it much worse. It, it's going to take the entire village and that's what we're, that's what we're supposed to do. Well, and I, I do love that it's in person, right? I think there's a lot of opportunities online and we certainly took advantage of some really unique opportunities during the pandemic, but um, but there's no substitute for interacting with people in your community, people you would otherwise never run into, like the lawnmower repair person or the truffle. <laughs> and um, it definitely 
it just seems like a win-win all around in terms of building connection and community and a sense of um a sense of place in a world that that it it feels harder to find that uh, you, you nailed it yes and, and that every community has elders who who have something to share you know we we want to call neighborhoods under-resourced or um these are resource communities that are under when you through the through the lens through an asset lens when you're looking at a community you see there's always a grandma on some corner who already knows what's going on in that community and could be encouraged to you know teach a little class on this or that and there's the there and it also changes the landscape for who who is a teacher who has who has something to share um and it can be so many different but also can be young people one of the things we're encouraged with is the 17, 18 year olds that have come to us. So, well, I might, I might want to start, you know, uh, I really like this particular hobby or that particular hobby. And I were like, Hey, let's help you figure it out. And it's pretty easy to get on. And, um, like I said, we're safety, child safety, both physical child safety, doing background checks on folks and making sure that the classes are set up and safe, but also protecting child data is another um, really important piece of the website that keeps everybody's data safe and, um, uh, you know, so if there's a change in, let's say, a custody issue or a uh, dietary uh, allergy or something, that data, when that's changed, gets sent out to all the people that are in that child's life. And the other thing is we're really working with um, local pediatricians and the county health department. And as we expand across the country, we'll be going to all those um, libraries and all the places that are touchstones for families so that if you've got a a uh, teenager who's feeling a little sullen at their at their annual visit, the the pediatrician or the family um, practice provider can say, "Hey, let's get on village. Let's pull this up." But you know, there's got to be something that you might be interested in. Um, let's figure it out together. So that's that's the hope. That's the dream. And actually, it felt like a dream for so long, and now it's it's real. Like the, the we have a great team. We're a small team, but we have three amazing developers who our lifelong learners themselves, which is great, like in care about what our mission is and are working to make it the most um, user-friendly, accessible um, interface or marketplace that we can provide for families. It's going to be available in, um, you know, multiple languages. Um, there's just a lot of things built into it with, because if when you start from uh, an access and an equity lens, that really kind of creates a great foundation that of what we're trying to do. And you said right now you're kind of your focus makes sense where you in your own community, um, and you have the dream is to have more communities across across the country in the future. Yep, it, it should kind of spread pretty quickly. I again, I sit on the on the nonprofit side. I'm the ed policy um, voice on the team. Uh, so the the business side of things and the te- I always say I'm the analog version. I'm like going <laughs> up, like out connecting people and let's do this, let's do that, uh, and then they build it. You know, I, I'm, I'm learning lots of. Uh, it's kind of fun to be in your mid fifties. Oh, I work for a tech startup and uh, I can tell you what what language was we're using and you know I'm always the first to say, can you tell me what that term is? Because I, I you're all <laughs> saying it like it. You all know what it is and. Uh, funny enough, my first job out of college was teaching software back in the early 90s when people were going to, you know, all day classes to learn 
you know, do one day just of the operating system and they'd come back for the next day, all day of Word and then Excel. Uh, so it's funny, that was my very, you know, it was a philosophy and American studies major. So there wasn't a lot <laughs> fit directly into that. And uh, we needed me to have a, have a job. So that was it. Yeah. And now fast forward to my mid fifties and I'm working for a tech startup with a really great boss, which I will say, I highly recommend growing your own boss. It's, it's a good, it's a good <laughs> practice. I just love kind of looking and surveying over, you know, even the story that you've told us today, it's just such a beautiful culmination of all of, um, all of the work and the amazing humans that, um, you helped. Like, I I love how you say like our kids were always there. Like when we look back when they were, you know, three days old, we can see in their eyes who they were, but I, the fact that you know, you're, you're working with them to better the world just makes my heart very happy. And my sense is that um, village is going to go far and do a lot of good in the world. And I'm so grateful um, to you and to Noah and to all that are working on it. Thank you. Thank you. Right back at you. It's um, yeah, it's, it's been a fun journey and it's fun to have these young adults and see what they're up to and and all the families like you said we have this camp connection and seeing but I just love what everyone's doing and it's, there's they have a unique bond that even if they don't see each other for a couple of years you know when those kids run into each other it's like ah right right back at it um, yeah so thank you so much for your time Trish we really appreciate it thanks so much for having me <laughs>